Welcome to the Adversity to Advantage podcast. This is the place to learn how to get through your worst rock bottom and start to embrace adversity. I'm your host, Petra Belzebor. I'm a therapist and a life coach, but my biggest learning is from my own rock bottom. My story includes being raised in a cult, dealing with depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and alcoholism. But along the way, I've learned to turn my entire life around to one of success, joy, and fulfillment. So in this podcast, I'll be talking to people from all walks of life who've done the same. I'll be teasing out the skills and tools necessary, as well as using my own experience to teach you how to turn your adversity into your biggest advantage. Welcome, everyone, uh, to the Adversity to Advantage uh, podcast. We're doing a recording on a Sunday morning with Nicholas Morgan. Uh, He is the co-director of Euro Youth Mental Health and a participation officer at a national mental health charity. Welcome to the show, Nick. Good morning, Petra. Good morning. (laughs) Well done on a Sunday morning. I appreciate you having this uh, conversation with me. Um, So the listeners should know that Nick and I uh, worked together a a couple years ago at a a different mental health charity, which is how we sort of know each other uh, a little bit. So Nick, um, fill in the blanks for the listeners. What what are you passionate about in, in the work that you do and in life at the moment? Um, I guess um, very much from the start of when I, I've been a youth worker for a good 15 years now um, and accidentally fell into the, the world of mental health as well with young people. Um, and when I say accidentally, I, 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 was, I got a job working for a charity looking at early intervention for young people as opposed, in, in a youth work fashion, not heavy on the kind of clinical side of mental health, but just looking at ways that um, working with young people to overcome adversity and things. And I got really passionate about mental health almost immediately uh, starting that job. And then, you know, fast forward 10 years or so, um, I did a master's uh, comparative European social sciences where I compared two mental health services, one in the UK and one in um, Croatia. And then after that, came back to the UK and that's where I met yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um, what, what, wait, what were some of the findings of that study? It's really interesting because I guess there's, there's, and it's led me, to, and I'll talk more about this, but it's led me to form this organization that I formed about the uh, confusion and the disparity amongst people across the continent of what mental health means was an interesting finding in itself. Um, but I guess one of the things I found that um, in the UK we're quite strict or have quite clear boundaries in terms of age and what a child and adult is. Mm-hmm. Um, although there's been more work towards transition since that, since I did that work uh, in the UK, but then in Croatia they were very much kind of like you know they say they were saying we have 24 year olds in our children's mental health service because they're clearly not ready to be in adult mental health services and looking at it from that point of view, so being a bit more relaxed, I guess, in terms of how they are mentally with their age, as opposed to just what's um, what was on their date of birth. Which is so so important. We see it so many times that eighteen year old cutoff, and they 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 may be getting the right intervention or not, as the case may be, with all the cuts and that sort of thing. And then they've got to transition in a very into a very different service when they may not be ready. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you think about. I mean, transition is. A, you think. Imagine a nineteen year old, let's say, with a, a very severe mental health problem, and so kind of hasn't really learned about how to how to overcome certain situations. So that might have the mental capacity and I mean it's in the nicest possible way of, of a say 13 year old being put 
being put somewhere where there's uh, chronic mental health sufferers uh, who have been uh, maybe 65-year-olds, uh, and not to be ageist, but... Well, it's a different service that you would offer them, even though they're all humans and, and have particular needs. Yeah, exa- exactly, yeah, as you say. It's, it's a very different setting, and so... But I know that, it, you know, I feel like I'm still in that field. I, I have seen a lot of positive um, services and changes in terms of looking at that transition. Um, and not, not just that uh, in mental health services. I think people are starting... It seems to be a lot more obvious to people now that transitions are quite a di- uh, confusing time for all of us, I guess, as well, you know. Tell, tell me about it. Uh, transitions are, are huge. I mean, I'm just coming from a perspective of having moved every year of my life growing up and probably moved country every two to three years. And so, if anything, I was desensitized to tra- that word transition because I was just like, isn't this just normal life? And it was only, yeah. uh, you know, a little bit older realizing that I, I used um, transition or change or moving almost as an avoidance strategy for, you know, if, mm. if, if stuff got hard, I would just move country. You know, um, so that, but then I, I unfortunately realized that no matter where I went, I brought myself with me. Um, so I had to figure out how to learn a few things along the way. Um, what was it, do you think, about mental health? Because you said you came from a youth work background, you sort of fell into it by accident, and then you got really into it, and obviously did a whole study on it and everything. What, what do you think drew you to, to that sort of topic once you were in it? Um. Yeah, and I say I say I say, I say I fell in it because I, I was my first. I did a youth and community degree um, in in Cardiff, and I think I I always been I was I'd become passionate working with young people because I didn't do that well in college, and so I got into an apprenticeship, an IT apprenticeship. Really? Which happened, yeah, which happened which happened to be in a youth setting. Yeah. Um, so I guess I, I I and I did the IT apprenticeship, and I remember my parents with best intentions, kind of. Uh, ushering me towards that way because there was, was you know computers and IT it's 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 the in thing sensible right in, uh, yeah exactly this is back in 2001 2002 yeah. <laughs> um, I was like yeah that makes sense and I managed to get this apprenticeship in a um, youth advice and support center in Swansea which is where I'm from yeah uh, in South Wales and uh, fell in love with supporting young people and bear in mind I, I was about 19 at the time giving like housing advice and things to 23 year olds and uh, learning about information for young people um yeah so anyway went off did my degree um yeah and then so first job out of uni was a community job so i was working in a uh, program called communities first in a place called Caffilly, also in south wales um which was with the whole community, so not necessarily with young people. Um, and I missed working with young people. So I managed to then find a job with um, Bernardo's, um, who were doing this project called the Caterpillar Project, based in Cardiff, which was looking at uh, supporting young people with, who were showing symptoms and signs of kind of potential mental health problems. And they were very, and I, I always remember this, and I guess this stuck with me throughout my life, um, that they weren't looking for anyone with a mental health background. They were looking for young. They were looking for staff who were just good at supporting young people. Yeah, um, and because that really the, because it's that whole like we all have mental health thing, right? It's not just the, exactly. the illness side of it. Exactly, um, which I guess, and I guess that I, and that really helped harbour my passion for 
looking into more about mental health you know they sent me on trainings about self-harm and everything else and I, I, I got brought up then with them uh, developing my skills around knowledge mental health for the severe end of it um, but also very much still being ad- advocating it like you say the idea that it is that mental health is something that we all have and we all have to deal with and look after on a day-to-day basis yeah yeah um, so the went from there so, so you're you're giving us a little bit of uh, a context already as far as your your professional life, and I'm just curious about what it was like growing up. So, what was the context of, of your family? Um, maybe the conditioning. Do you think your your parents or the education system sort of prepared you for you know life in the adult world? <laughs> um, that's a- Interesting question. I know, right? Um, <laughs> most most people are like, uh, yes and no, yes and no. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that. So I guess I, I I look at it in two ways. I think my parents. I mean, well, my family life was brilliant. I, I mean, I had I have one sister. Yeah. And um, um, my father and my uh, mother were. I guess that I'm 34 um, they're in their sixties now. And I think you look at mental health and emotions and a generational thing. And I guess, so I played rugby as a child uh, and did, well, I, I, rugby was my main sport, but I definitely did all the sports. Okay. Um, I, I was that kid. Uh, yeah. I was that kid at uh, high, uh, high school who, um, when they did athletics would be doing the 400 meters, then the 100 meters, then the long jump, then the javelin, then the 15,000 meters okay. all in one day. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, yeah. Huh. Those are the days. Um, <laughs> We're getting older. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I cannot do that now. Um, I think it was very much, um, I remember being, um, a, a, a male, and I think being a male was a, there was a clear, I remember as a child being in, in, in not any direct way, but kind of having an idea that it was okay to be in a fight and but win, as long as I win or, um, you know, uh, and about, I, 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 I'm a very happy crier now. I enjoy doing crying. <laughs> I like that watching, sentence. I, 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 um, well, I, I cry at the most ridiculous things. Um, and I guess, but I, I know that when I was growing up, and this isn't, I guess, my family, this was society. It's social that, conditioning, sure. Yeah, that I wasn't, or me, guys, you know, kids, male guy, kids weren't expected to cry. You're not allowed to cry. Um, a bit of your peer group as well, like you're, you're picturing just yeah. the, the sporty guy, you know, and people have yeah. a certain expectation of what that guy's like. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, yeah, and I remember, so I guess, and looking at the education point of view, there was never, there was nothing in education when I was growing up in the UK around your well-being, as far as I can remember. Yeah. Um, and that's not to take anything away from the education I got, but it was clearly not something that was on their spectre. I remember, um, you know, the, what, what the PH, what are they called now? Uh, PSHE. Social, yeah. educate, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that those classes that exist now, we had those then, and they were, they were called tutorials. And I remember the one I do remember was about credit cards. Oh, um, that's good. Yeah. Not every school gets that. No, I, I mean I don't remember what it was. <laughs> right. Before, but, uh, <laughs> but I remember doing one on credit cards and being like, oh, this, these are the classes that kind of like were teaching you to be a grown up almost, if you will, because there's education and then there's life. Yeah, life living. skills, practical. Yeah. Yeah, and so that was something that 
it didn't really do it, do anything for me. And uh, going, you know, as I grew up, I guess trying not to cry about certain things, breaking up with girlfriends, or uh, you know, when you're 16 and you think your life's ended, it's like, oh my god, yeah, yeah, find it again, get over. And I, I remember my parents again, I guess, being brought up with that sensibility of those different models of. Of, of, of gender and growing up um, and I guess what one of the things I've loved is being in the profession that I'm in um, I've learned loads um, but also I feel like my parents have been very willing and open to talk about what I'm learning and learn themselves that's very uh, cool yeah it is it is absolutely cool and you know I've struggled with my mental health uh, in my professional world and told them I, I, I hid it for a, while, a, a bit of a, a while not wanting more from a point of not wanting them to worry um, but eventually you know I was kind of like, I, ha- I have to let them know um, and let them know that I'm living far away but I do have support as well I think that was the main reason another reason because I didn't want them to think that living in London whilst they're still back in Swansea mm. that I didn't have anyone to look at to help me through difficult times um, but I re- but I do, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, t- tell us more about that. So I'm curious about you know your own mental health, what showed up for you, um, and and this kind of transition. So you're talking about like now you can you're in touch with your emotions. You, it sounds like you communicate. You ask for help in the right places to support you. You have that recognition, um, and then compared to the kid who's like boys don't cry in sports and all that mm. sort of thing. And so I'm curious about that that middle period of you know. How, how yeah. did you notice some of these things were going on? And often, I know in my experience of anxiety, depression, and, and all the rest of it, um, there were certainly a few absolute rock bottoms where I had to get that low in order to figure out how to ask for help. Yeah, I think it's because it's, it's I, 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 I felt I didn't really have a difficult time until I was about, I think that I, I kind of think, you know, you always think about your emotions, and but I didn't really have my first kind of, sort of crisis or mm. yeah yeah i guess until i was about 23 sure which it doesn't sound that old actually but i guess in terms of growing up you you feels like you should be a grown-up but but also the 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 kind of rosy picture of once i finish university or once i have my independence things will be cool it sort of crashes in around you when you go oh fuck i can't really deal with this real life stuff (laughs) <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's, I think that's what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it's because um, sometimes if you are having if if everything is good for you uh, growing up and then and in your independent life, you don't think about your emotions that much. You you, you don't need to. Don't even because when you're happy, you don't think about your emotions. No, really, you're just happy. You're just chilled uh, out. Sure. Exactly, and. And I guess that's what was going on for me. I was things were clearly all right and blah blah blah. But I do so. I remember the the very pertinent, uh, very specific point. Um, I was working for Bernardo's, so living in Cardiff, and on my way to do some um, active listening sessions with some young people in a school. Mm-hmm. And on and I was driving, and on my way there, I haven't, and I still, I guess, and it's kind of just opens. The floodgates, if you will. I, I on my way in the car, I just stopped and broke down crying. Mm-hmm. Um, not entirely sure why. Uh, phone phone work, um, and I had really good. I had a really good team around me. Um, phone work, and I said, I, I don't 
quite know what's going on, um, but I'm not in any state to go and kind of support any young people today. Yeah. Uh, I'm continuing school, obviously, hugely apologise, because I think part of me, I felt really guilty not being able to see some of the, of the young people who I was due to see. But uh, I guess, um, and, you know, the next time I saw them, I, told, I just told them I wasn't well, and they, for the best part, were completely understandable, uh, understanding that when you're not well, you're not well, and you can't do things when you're not well. Um, yeah, so I, I think I had about three days off and my, my, my manager, I popped into work to speak to my manager just to try and, I guess, see if it was a work-related thing. And I mean, I still don't 100% know exactly what that was, but I guess it, it, it's, it was maybe something about not recognizing certain things. Sounds like an absolute uh, like build-up of, of emotions, yeah. you know, small things over time. And then suddenly your, your mind or your body just couldn't hold on to it anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think I look back at that time and I, you know, things were actually quite good. And I, I, I guess it's like you say, just lots of little things can chip away at you over time, um, which is the hard. I think sometimes because it's, it's, it's easy to kind of, I guess, think about your emotions, as we just briefly mentioned about when things are down or if a tragedy, hap- tragedy happens, you lose your job or, you know, someone passes away. But when things are ticking away and you're doing your job and you're going out and seeing friends and you're smiling a lot and so on and so forth it's i guess it's those are the that's the those are the hidden ways that you get yeah these emotions build up and then suddenly mm, smash you and i guess it's like oh my god what the hell is going on yeah it's like harder to reconcile or to explain to people or we kind of feel the shame and want to hide away with it a little bit because we're like i don't have any logical explanation for this Mm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I've I've built up some fantastic friends over my life. Um, you know, I'm 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 the young people and mental health guy. I'm, I'm that's me. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I guess and and I'm the mental health. You know, I'm the person who is incredibly open about their emotions and kind of. I think um, did an exercise a while back at a conference where we just asked people how they were all day mm-hmm. see what the was and a lot of people I guess do that thing of going oh hey how are you doing yeah I'm good thanks how are you yeah, doing yeah, yeah. I'm fine I'm fine <laughs> yeah um, and I remember when, when I started again I'm trying to remember, probably back in Cardiff as well I started when people would ask me that I'd start I'd be very honest so mm. if I was good I'd say I was good but if I was not good I would say oh, I'm not great to be honest mm-hmm. um, and and <laughs> just and gauge a reaction yeah test uh, it yeah and because it, it's an interesting i guess and i don't know uh thinking about my i guess international career like yeah it's it, that, that that sentence is 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 something that is quite common across the world um how are you when you meet uh, when you meet someone um and i think there's there's certain countries and cultures that answer it either very honestly or in the UK I feel we answer it very kind of like stiff up a lip oh my goodness so much things, things are fine yeah don't ask that again though because I might cry yeah exactly <laughs> um, uh, yeah I, I guess it's been I, it's been interesting over the years it's been and doing well but sometimes being no I'm not great to be honest I'm not sure why I've got counseling session later um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> but I was uh, respect uh, expecting, but 
you know, in the last, say, five years, I think people have become more open in the, prof- in the jobs I've had and the people I work with. People in the are, industry you're in as well. People, yeah. These people are a lot more kind of like, when they ask that, because that's the thing, if you ask that, you've got to be prepared to give a tiny bit of time for a reply. Um, even if you are very busy, don't just do it out of politeness. Mm. Ask that question because you're curious. Because um, I think, the, the, again, a very Britishism is about being awkward in social situations and feeling the need to say something. If you don't know, if you don't want to know how someone is, because you're busy, and I, I, I guess it's not everyone, it's not all our responsibilities to constantly be counselling and being, being an ear to someone at work. But, that, but I feel like that's a misconception, is that that's how far it has to go. Sometimes we can have empathy and humanly connect with somebody without having to um, sit down for hours and listen to them. But as in, those are some of the fears people have is that it's going to become a tell me your whole life story situation, <laughs> right? Um, but yeah. what people miss out on is the true human connection where it goes both ways and we can actually get under the, the I'm fine sort of layer. So tell us, um, so, so I'm picturing you driving this car, um, it, things have built up, you're suddenly weeping, you, you've, you, you're forced to kind of not go into work and to ask, well, I don't know if you asked for help, but let people know that you couldn't cope in some way. Um, how did things move from there as far as uh, figuring out what the hell was going on or, or beginning to talk more about emotions? Like, how did you learn some of that stuff? I think it was the first kind of time that I felt I needed to tell someone about well, like I say that, like I said, I, I didn't really know. Going back to the everything's fine, so I'm happy, so therefore I don't really think about my emotions type idea. That was the first time I was like, "What the hell is wrong? Something's clearly not right. I shouldn't just be having to pull over in my car, yeah, uh, cry." Um, and yeah, I get like I said, I had a few days off. My manager was brilliant, and um, I popped in to see my manager to t- just to catch up for an hour in those three days because I, I guess I needed to explore if it was a work thing and it, it really kind of wasn't and um, they did um, employment assistance program oh yeah um, which uh, my manager referred me to like oh did you know that Bernardo's uh, have this uh, as an option and I didn't so I give them a call and I, I received some counselling I, I had about so you'd get six free sessions as part of your yeah, employee um, package. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I had four sessions. Was this um, the first time you'd, you'd ever accessed counselling in your life? Yes. Um, yeah, it was. And I think um, I, I felt I, I haven't been in that job for about two years by that point. It, it, it had really helped me feel at ease to do that because I've been working with young people and families who have asked for help. Yeah. From us for two years. You know, and I feel, I felt, well, if they can do it, then what's what's yeah, they should be fine. And and it was, I guess. I'm very, I'm a very trusting, optimistic person. I assume, I always assume that people are there to help. Um, and so I, I had these counselling sessions, and I didn't use all six. I think I had about three. Yeah. Um, I just felt, I, I, but I do remember after my first session, coming out and just feeling an overwhelm wave of relief and um like 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 i was a a glass of water that was just about to overflow and i'd thrown all the glass i'd thrown all the water out um 
yeah, I felt great after the first session. I think well, it was what, something what, about... What, yeah, tell me about that. What was it about? Um, I think it was, I guess, not naming any issues specifically, but part of it was just being able to... Offload. Offload. Uh, anonymous person. Yeah. So someone who doesn't know anyone you're talking... Uh, anyone you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, there's no judgment... Um, and that's obviously, you know, that's quite key in, in counselling is that, that you, you, you're not there to judge. Um, you've got to keep people safe, obviously, but that's, that's, a, that's a very high line. And so you, the things that are going on in people's lives, there's no judgment because you talk to friends and although friends can be fantastic and, they, and they're not intentionally judging, but they might offer adv- advice or they might offer an, an opinion that you've not asked for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> totally. Um, whereas, whereas a counsellor, I guess a good counsellor, is there to listen and will ask, I remember them, you know, asking, can I maybe suggest one or two things before going off and offloading? Yeah, and I, cause I remember, I, and so it was, it was something about, I guess, the um, them not knowing anyone who I'm talking about, any one of my situations, that really helped. It just was an offloading experience. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so you begin slowly realizing that asking for help is is useful. And then in this theme of adversity, um, would you say that there have been yeah. other moments in your life that have, you know, uh, felt similar or have felt like uh, we refer to them as a, a rock bottom or a crash where you've just got to, uh, you know, begin that slow process of learning how to look after yourself or get the things that you need? Yeah. Um yeah, I, I think, and so since then, I've I've, I've, uh, I've used, I think the, I've had counselling and I've been to the, uh, been to my GP a few times about mental health and stuff. Um, I remember one specific period of time um, in the more recent, about four years ago, um, I had two weeks off just before Christmas, signed off by the GP, um, and I think that's an interesting moment when I I've gone to the GP because I need help. Um, uh, with my mental health and it was uh, massively around I guess what I, I, I'm ki- I kind in my own head professional anxiety mm. um, where I'm I'm feeling pressured with with work related things and having ridiculously high expectations and not having the capacity over time to actually do said high expectations mm. um, and to have someone <laughs> I remember being in the doctor's room and she the GP kind of goes do, do, do you want a week off work? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Which I, I respected that she was asking, you know, do, do, do you feel I need a week off work? And I, I kind of was like, I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't know what I need. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. And, and I guess that was enough for her to go, I'm going to give you a week off work. You need to, I'm going to sign you off for a week. Yeah. Um, yeah. And come back on Friday, because um, this was a Monday. Uh, come back on Friday, and then she turned me off for another week as well because she felt I wasn't quite there. Although I was a lot more aware of my emotions then since that moment in the car back in Cardiff, I, you get lulled into a false sense of security, I think, sometimes, and not taking time for yourself. Um, and so after those two weeks, I was very much, you know, because the GP, the GP was fantastic. And I know I've heard horror stories of GPs yes, for mental health. Yes, there's a few of them. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but but my GP uh, in um, Muswell Hill surgery was fantastic, and she was kind of saying, you know, so I'm going to sign you off and just take some time for yourself. Don't do any, you know, don't feel you have to lay about in bed, but do that if you want to. Um, but 
if what you what you normally do is to get out on a weekend to get out go for a run and do some bits and then go and hang out with friends do that for two weeks it's that's very practical advice yeah definitely and i think i guess what it i guess led me to think about is as well about how we use or look at using annual leave um from from our day jobs and i know i've uh been i've quite often you you don't take annual leave unless you have something planned yeah um you'll you'll take a week off because you're going on holidays you'll take friday and monday off because you've got a friend's birthday to go to in a different area in the uk yeah um but i guess and what we don't do is (laughs) take some days off just to to switch off yeah and do 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 your laundry recharge maybe do a run watch netflix for a bit um and i guess so I guess since then I've, I've I've used my annual leave for holidays and things, but also oh, I've got some days. I'm going to take two days off next month. Just I don't know what I'm going to do with them yet, but I'm just going to take them. Just going to switch off. Yeah, and just having that time to switch off is massively important. And so, what what do you what are the routines or habits that you try on good days to implement into your life now to sort of uh, look after your mental health? So you occasionally will take some leave. And what about in, in your regular sort of working week? What are the things that work for you? One of the biggest things I've um, learned and I guess do is I, 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 and I, I still am and I'm still struggling with this, but I, I beat myself up a lot if I do something wrong or, or forget something. Um, I'll, I'll be quite self-deprecating. I'll call myself names in my own head or whatever uh, or haven't have done yeah yeah uh, and i've been trying to, i've been trying to learn to not do that um and, which is easier said than Completely. done <laughs> and i guess from reading different things and learning about different methods and as you say about resilience and looking after yourself um i uh, one of the main things i do is, uh, having learned this is that you know our brains aren't no one's brain is perfect and we've all picked up different things over time and so that sometimes you don't remember things and sometimes you don't do things and that's okay that's just a part of your brain functioning differently and so what happens when when that critical voice is is going off obviously you're now able to recognize that it's you know it doesn't have to control your actions it's just a critical voice that sort of formed over time we all have them um what what do you try and do instead to maybe counter that it's it's a lot to do with learning for me i i I guess you have that critical voice which is harsh Mm. um and not friendly um so but speak back to it and kind of be think of techniques and things that you can do to maybe don't do that again if it annoys you and but that's all well and good i think i guess my main takeaway is that it's always going to happen i'm not the best version of i guess what i'd like myself to be but what is that i i I look at it in in a terms point of view of what is that version does that version can that version exist you know these high expectations we set for ourselves especially when um over time you work with lots of different people who you see and meet and you think oh my god they're amazing why can't i be like that <laughs> um but i bet i know i'm i'm 99 confident that they also have moments of stupidity and completely confidence and, crisis yeah 
Yeah, exactly. You know, you know that saying, we compare our insides to other people's outsides? Um, it's a, it really helped me because I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm comparing, like, all my psyche, my, my you know, conditioning, every time I feel shit to the shiny outside version of themselves, you know? And the, th- the yeah. thing is, they're, they're probably doing the same thing. And my, my shiny outside is pretty damn cool, you know? Um, <laughs> I've worked pretty hard to make it that way. Um, but it's the, the inside turmoil or the, the, the confidence crisis or the times that I just cry in my kitchen when nobody sees me, you know? And comparing yeah. that side to other people's outside, that, that sort of saying just really helped me go, oh, hey, well, if they're doing the same thing, then they've also got a story that they might be struggling or grappling with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's... You know, I'm I, I, I'm a massive idealist, and which is both uh, amazing. It's both like a blessing and a curse. That absolutely, um, <laughs> you know, and and I guess my girlfriend and my friends and my family, they they all get this, and I'm like, yeah, but everyone should just brilliant. be brilliant <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and yeah, all yeah, all the time, um, and I guess I'm yeah, and I, I you get like you. I remember being out with friends earlier in the week and I've had a relatively stressful week. There's a lot of tra- uh, transition. Yeah, ooh. <laughs> Change is everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Always going on. Yeah. Um, a lot of that going on at work at the moment in my day job, yeah. um, which is just put, putting a lot more uh, work on myself until that gets sorted, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so it's been a different week. I went out with some friends, and I remember at one point we were uh, we'd gone to a bar, and I remember I remember as you're saying about our outsides, uh, and I remember chatting to people, and just for a moment thinking I'm probably coming across really cool right yeah. now. <laughs> if only they knew yeah. <laughs> the, the, the frantic chaos that's going on in my yeah. head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think, but that, you know, I, 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 out of that group, I'd say half of them probably actually do know because I, I talk to them because they, they, they I've developed good friendships at work. Um, and so that's, all, that's massively useful as well, I think, from a professional point of view, is having someone at work, not necessarily a manager, although they, a good manager would be able to be aware and, yeah. of all of this, but, um, but friends at work who... I guess understand your mental capacity and headspace for what's going on um, is uh, quite a big deal because, like school, you spend you know when you spend most of your adult life at work, yeah. um, and it's important to be able to have some people who you can offload to at work, um, and not have to keep it bent, you know tucked in until you see your friends later on that night or whatever. Yeah, um, I guess that's the kind of theme that I'm hearing from you is that over the years as an adult, you've, you've put more time and effort maybe into nurturing the types of friendships or relationships where you can be more of yourself so that these things don't build up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it's, it's funny because I guess um, you mentioned about friendships and I guess none of my friendships have changed over the years. Um, so I guess it, I feel like there's always been some part of me that's um, kept and looked at and found friendships who I maybe instinctually or subconsciously knew were, were good people, I like to think. And when I talk, when I've talked to them, all of my friendships uh, about my own mental health 
problems or difficulties. They've been completely understanding and fantastic. Yeah. Um, um, and I, uh, you, you know, you you do worry, but and I guess that's where I've managed. To, I've been lucky because I. I um, you know, I see it day to day in my work. I still work in the social field, and there are still people who aren't necessarily that accepting of. Yeah, there's definitely stigma. And, yeah, uh, and yeah, and that kind of idea of having mental health problems. Um, and you just, uh, there is a lot more awareness about it now, and a lot more conversation going on about it, which is great. Um, as I, and I, you know, point in case talking about my parents earlier about how they kind of learnt with me as I've been moving in my career and talking about my work they've been very open and you know every time mental health is mentioned in the news they'll text me or something but that's so Um, cool I I said that it was cool but it's so cool because I see so many parents who at a certain age get a bit stuck in their ways and kind of do the eye rolling or just maybe disengage from that part of things that of course they don't want to see their child suffer and they want to have some support but they wouldn't necessarily put time or energy into trying in their own way to understand what what's going on and that's it and i guess um i can i get a lot of um i it's it's about learning what you can get from your fam from people uh, and i that sounds quite selfish actually but um knowing what capacity people have to give yeah i think that's realistic um Exactly. So I know what my parents are there for, and I know the the amazing support they can get. But they, but I, I know I can get different support for certain things from different people, and they know that as well. And I think that's so they don't because I can imagine I'm I'm not a parent, and but I can imagine that you want to be able to give and be everything for your children. Yeah. Um, but that's as you said, it's not necessarily feasible, and so you know my parents are, um. They know I've gone through some difficult times. Yeah, they've done what they've done what they can brilliantly. But they also, but they know who the people are in my life who I've gone to for the other things, um, and they're massively thankful of them being in my life as well. If that makes sense, like they've made a point of, they always make a point of asking about said people, um, because they know that they are key people in my life who, without whom I wouldn't be. be yeah and I guess as, as a parent myself I've actually learned that allowing your kids to deal with their own struggle in some way like letting go a little bit um, actually really truly allows them to build resilience um, because it's yeah. those kids that are always uh, protected from that sort of thing in some way or another or, or it's tried to be fixed by someone else um, that actually as because I'm a therapist so those adults who come in as clients their resilience is shockingly low. Like any failure just knocks them over the head, you know? Um, And so that's that working with those adult clients has helped me kind of go step back a bit from when my kids are are struggling in some way and just kind of help them as you would with young people, empower them to figure it out rather than just telling them everything. And, you know, we know that that has um, better impact. Um, You've alluded to this a little bit, but do you think that the adversity you faced has helped you in any way? Yeah, absolutely. I think, like I said, going back to that lack of education as a kid about my emotions and how to manage, and well, how to manage and how to maintain your your mental capacity because you know yeah. you, you get t- loads about your physical health. Yeah. Um, do exercise, blah, eat well, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Don't get told anything when I was a kid about um, mindset, even. To, yeah. 
so absolutely, I think like, as it, going referring back to that moment when I was on my way to the school back in Cardiff, where it just broke down. They didn't have a clue what was going on, but just made me more aware. And ever since then, all the different moments that have come on, the adversity is, has helped in a way. I, but I guess it's important, though, obviously, because we don't want all our we don't want everyone to have to go through some form of struggle in order to figure this stuff out. Yeah. I didn't know where I was going then, but yeah, I mean, we, we don't, but, but I've I've also learned that those are the people that I actually admire the most and want in my Mm -hmm. life, the ones who've uh, gotten up and are successful, whatever that means to them, despite the struggle, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm newly back on the dating scene after being in a very long term relationship and marriage. And it's a little, I'm probably a little bit strange, but I kind of go, (laughs) Hey, like I'm almost looking for the the trauma or the struggle that they've experienced in order to connect. I'm like, dude, your life is way too simple. This is going nowhere, (laughs) (laughs) which is, you've got nothing to complain about. (laughs) Exactly. You have nothing to complain about. I'm leaving. (laughs) Um, but (laughs) I'm making a joke of it, but I do, kind of I'm drawn to somebody who has that richness of experience because I do know that it teaches people it adds a certain level of of maturity um and so yeah I mean what what advice might you give to somebody who's you know like your 23 year old self I don't know if in hindsight you can you can observe that what the build-up was Mm -hmm. or if there were things that you you could have done differently but what advice might you give to that person who's just on the brink of that sort of uh, crisis or, mm. or breakdown for if we would call it that mm. I guess for me it was very much to say to someone because uh, I, like I said I think I didn't know anything was wrong until the moment it became yeah. it, it broke yeah. Yeah. and so it's trying, <laughs> trying to suggest to people who maybe ah, this sounds quite cynical but if, if you think everything's perfect maybe just check in now and again with yourself and with your own headspace and see if everything is or if, uh, if there's anything that you might be um, not uh, you might be ignoring that you need to check in on because I, again it go, I think the, the reason that happened is because I was never really taught about looking at my adversities and looking at anything and, uh, and I've always been quite a headstrong person I got into punk music as a kid and became quite kind of oh, I'll do what I want and yeah. everything else uh, you know, <laughs> rah rah uh, <laughs> um, which is leads to my idealism, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, but, yeah. I find the idealists are also extremists often, you know, yeah. believe yeah. the best in people, completely go off the rails when we, we get a bit jaded by what the world's truly like, you know, need to yeah. do some avoidance strategies for a little while. I certainly <laughs> did a bit of that. I'm like, what? Not everyone yeah. thinks the world is like this or believes in all humanity. Let me find alcohol to like numb that pain, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Absolutely. So there's something about education and something about learning to talk or, you know, early on. Check in honestly early on. I think it's, it's, it's all about honesty as well, isn't mm. it? I think, and that going back to me asking, you know, when you ask someone or someone asks you, how, how are you? Don't just answer automatically. Stop and like reflect. think for a How are you? And be honest with that answer. Yeah. Um, I guess don't expect that person to listen to a whole like if you are feeling crap don't expect that person to listen to a, an hour-long kind of active listening session with you but but then but, take that on board and go and ask for help yeah and what, I'm, what i'm hearing is like use that as a prompt to be self-reflective 
to even know yeah. what's going on for yourself so yeah. that you can then talk to the right people. So those friendships or the, or parents, if you have that trusting relationship or a GP, if that's what you need to do. Yeah. And it, yeah, cause exactly. I guess that, cause that's that my biggest takeaway is that I didn't know anything was wrong until it was too late. Um, and I say too late, you know, I took some time off work and had a really good manager. I was really lucky. Mm. Um, I, and I worked in the youth and social and mental health field. I, was, I wouldn't have expected anything else, really, uh, to be quite honest. But, and I know Unfortunately, it's not always the case. But um, exactly. as, as yeah, we also know. Of jobs where that wouldn't be the case. So just catch it before letting it. Yeah, just check in with yourself and be reflective about where you are at given points in your life and even if it's just like taking a once a month hour to write down things that are going things that you're happy about and things that you're not happy about and just actually take time to think about that mm. reflect um, on and, it yourself yeah and to be like oh I didn't think I was I had anything unhappy to deal with and then you know you can figure out strategies and ways of dealing with that if you want to change anything once you know what it is then then you can deal with it um, Nick exactly. th- thank you so much for your time before we finish can you tell us a little just a little sentence around the, the European youth mental health thing that sounds um, fascinating and let people know where they can connect to you online yeah um, so yeah, Euro Youth Mental Health is a, a community interest company I've set up in the UK, but obviously we're Europe-wide. Yeah. Um, we empower young people to um, talk more about mental health across the continent. There's a, a very a varying degrees of understanding of mental health across the world. Um, but we want to try and create a common understanding of, of, of what mental health means and also how to look for support and how to support yourself as a young person and as, as youth workers and as social care staff. Oh, amazing. Um, not, not everyone thinks about it from that angle, like the workers as well, you know, so I find that amazing. Well, exactly. Well, we're, we're, looking, we're currently looking to try and get some funding to train uh, 30 youth workers across Europe, um, yeah, about looking at themselves and then how they themselves can help young people in their settings. Cool. Um, but so fingers crossed with that funding stream. Yeah, um, yeah and I guess we're, we're all there's three of us. We're volu- we're voluntarily doing this at the moment. Um, and if people did want to get in touch, um, we have a Twitter page which is at EuroYouthMH, or you can just Google uh, EuroYouth Mental Health, and we should come up now. Lovely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Amazing. Um, we'll we'll add those links into the podcast notes. Um, yeah, cool. Nick, thank you so much for your time. It's been a, such a pleasure having you in my life in the first place. Um, thank you so much for being so open and honest. And I know a lot of people will will get so much out of this. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, Petra. And fantastic talking to you again. Thank you so much for listening. If something helped you today, please do share this episode with a friend and let them know that they are not alone. I know that for me, isolation kept me stuck much longer than I needed to be. So let's practice courage and talk to someone about what's going on, as that's the first step to making life amazing. Check out my website, petravelsboer.com, for your free Kickstarter plan, which will teach you to turn your biggest weaknesses into your greatest strengths. Join the community of people who are changing the way they view life's challenges and living life to the full. Until next time, goodbye.